Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, the great and wonderful podcast about all things self-storage. Only the best. Only the best. <laughs> Today, I'm trying to even remember now. I got to think back. We, we, we cover, obviously, a lot of things on this podcast and um, get excited a lot about operations, finding deals. One of the things, though, I don't think we've really dived into on the podcast yet is constructing deals, not like the assets themselves, but a partnerships and things like that. So that's kind of going to be the focus today. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about, and we have lots of questions that come in about what are you guys looking for and how do you guys structure deals? So I thought, okay, why don't we talk about it? Why don't we tell it? Give you some Perfect topic. insight into that. And the... Um, the focus, although it's on on deal construction, uh, I think it's important to know that it it's not standardized, right? Like this depends largely on who, when, where. So none of these things are set in stone when you're form when you're formatting the partnership and when you're formatting how the deal is going to work. It's these things um, can be changed and, and should be. And we'll, we'll give examples to that. I just don't want anybody listening to this walking away and say, this is what you have to do. I think uh, that's one of the biggest things that's kind of confusing for a lot of people is, is the fact that there isn't just a one-size-fits-all solution for every deal or structure for every deal because the value is different to everybody in every deal. Yeah. And, and I think that's going to be a really good thing to kind of go over and exactly. explain for sure. Uh, before we get started, though, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Janus International. Um, we talk a lot about Janus International. You've probably heard about them on our YouTube. You've seen their case studies that we've done with them on our different projects with their Noki, um, which is their keyless entry system, which we absolutely love. Um, Janus has been a great partner for us as we've been working on developing cutting edge technology as we're kind of trying to be the forefront into a true automated system for self-storage facilities. And what I mean by true automated self-storage is, is Janus and what they did with their no-key system and the system that was developed, it can be done off your phone. As in, if I am renting in Kansas City, but I am from Ohio, I can rent a unit off my phone right there, sign the lease, I can show up in Kansas City, right? I can use my unit. I can go in, open up all the doors and open up my unit right off my phone. I can leave. I can check out of the unit. I can never even talk to another person. And that rental life cycle will be complete. Um, so we're not just, and, and 
this needs to be clear. I'm not talking about a manage manager list or a, or a no personnel right facility because even though you may not have personnel, there's always someone that needs to work with this that's regional or not. But the system and how it works is a keyless entry system, a true one. And this has afforded us a lot of opportunities, particularly in the market that out-of-state people that want to go rent into that market, we have the easiest, best method to use because no other people in our markets that we were using them are using it. That gives us a huge advantage. It opens up our market. It makes our market a lot larger. And we've loved it. It's been an awesome value add. Um, we put the link on the website and in the show notes so you can follow it there. Um, tell them we sent you. And... Uh, it's it's really probably the most forefront system that we have seen to help you automate a storage facility. So oh, for sure. Check for it sure. out. And even too, I, I mean, don't mean to drag on about this, but I just, I really nerd out about it because it's awesome. It, our, our facilities are manned. So when we're talking automation, I we're talking, you know, 100 plus thousand square feet. I have managers in there. But this is reducing workload. This is reducing the amount of effort and time that needs to come into it. And it also makes it more safe and more secure. But anyways, we can really dive a lot deeper into that. You can also check out one of our episodes that we did with uh, the Noki folks. I don't even remember what number it was. It was back a little ways. Uh, that's a great one, though. So really good check episode. that out. But on to today's topic. Uh, today, we're talking about the construction of deals. And... Constructing a deal can be tricky, I think, for a lot of people because they don't know where to start. They don't even know how to do it, right? Like, what do I need? I don't have money or maybe I have a deal when I don't. And, I, and instead of going through a lot of variations, I thought, why don't we just kind of talk about what we're doing and mm -hmm. then give it context? Oh, for sure. Um, it's kind of like that peak behind the veil kind of a thing where it's like yeah. you don't really know – what is what unless you've actually been there and you've seen it and and, and actually got your hands on it, so to speak, you know? Exactly. So, um, yeah. And we didn't know, we didn't really know when we were first starting out because all our deals previously, um, they were self-funded right. by me and my partners. It was, it was, we managed, we ran everything. When we decided to really expand and take ourselves to the next level and we wanted to syndicate, do partnerships, um, that's when these things opened up and we had to figure out what is the best way for us. So there's a bunch of ways that you could go. We decided for us, it would be better to partner with people that wanted to be in storage on a lot of occasions and syndicate deals um, with or without the partners. So let me explain it, First of all, when we're going into markets, what we're looking for, and we've gone over this before, but we're looking for growing markets that are good, healthy, low square footage, high demand, and we'll continue to have that. I'm looking for 60 plus thousand square feet. Um, and we want it to be mom and pop run, right? I want upside potential. And when we are looking at these facilities that have upside potential, one of the problems that we figured out we had, like all people, was to get where we wanted to go there were capital constraints. If I want to buy 10 facilities every single year, um, we didn't want to over leverage ourselves. We're very conservative. We wanted to do more. And uh, we also wanted to have a large impact with our company. Um, so bringing on investors was a, a natural step in our progression, I think you could say. Um, but 
we weren't sure how to go about that. So the first place that I went were what I call capital aggregators. These are people that they don't really invest. They What they do is they get money. So they pool all their money together with lots of other people, and then they're the point of contact, or contact then they go find the investors or the storage operators, and then they give their that money that they put all together to them. So they're the single point of contact, even though the investors are in their fund, so to speak. And um, we went down that, and that just wasn't a natural way for us to do it. I didn't like that I wasn't talking to the investors. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like that they were, they had opinions and thoughts and it had nothing to do with their investors. That disconnect didn't sit well with me. And I thought, this doesn't make sense. Why don't we just go to the investors? Right. right. There's just too many layers. There's too many layers. And it was more complicated than I think I, I, I really understood. And I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even know really the pros and cons. And so because of that, I thought this, this isn't going to work. We have plenty of people that want to invest with us. I, we're just going to go to the investors. So we did that and we structured it into a um, what are called a general partner and limited liability partners. We do this for a couple of reasons. So the GP, which is us, and that's the general partner, um, we take on the debt. We take on the risk, right? Limited partners come in and we have all control and say. And limited partners come on and they basically piggyback, right? They ride along and they invest in that. They're partners. They get all the benefits of depreciation. They get all the uh, benefits of directly investing in assets, the cash flow, the equity appreciation, everything with us. But they don't have to worry about buying a $8 million asset and they don't have the money to do that anyway. So they get to participate in these asset classes they never would before. And we get to use our expertise and everything to run and turn around the assets. Um this works really good, and we structured it this way for a few reasons. First of all, we know what we're doing, so we wanted only limited partners because I couldn't have partners come in and jeopardize the other partners because they started saying we want make change, we want to make changes, or I want to do things differently. That's not fair to the rest of the investors. So it has to be nope. You're investing in us, with us. We have say. Um, for that, we've been on our last deals, the limited partners, we give a preferred return, what is called a preferred return. And on our last few deals, that was 8%. This varies with every deal. Some deals have enough cash flow and are good enough to where there's no preferred, we just do a split. But on the ones that we've done, we did a preferred return of 8%. And what that means is investors, they get the limited partners, they get first shot. And they get that 8% preferred before the GP gets anything. Now, I should state that I'm also a limited partner. So this is kind of the weird part, but I my money, when it goes in, goes in as a limited partner share. Um, so in our deals, we're also the largest shareholder have been. Not that that will always happen, but that's how, how we've done it. Um, so we're a limited partner and then a general partner that controls the asset and runs it. Then from there... The 8%, after the 8% preferred return, the partnership is split 70-30. So that means you get your 8% return, then all the profit is split 70% to the limited partners, which we are one, and then 30% goes to the GP afterwards. Um, That split 
comes off the profit and goes to however the shares are. So if you own 10% and uh, 10% equity and you get your 8% preferred return, then after that, $10 comes in, $7, right, of that 10% goes to you. And then $3 of the 10% goes to the GP, uh, uh, the general partner. And uh, we take the debt. They don't sign on the debt. We take a lot of the risk. That's generally how we've been structuring these deals. Um, It's worked well. We like it. Um, There's lots of ways that you can do these. There's things called waterfalls, which changes the return based upon performance, um, which lots of operators do. There are refi clauses to where you can say, all right, once we refi, you get your money back. You're out of the deal. We own the asset outright. Um, And none of these things are bad things. They all just depend on what you're doing. Um, For our first deals, we kept it simple. Um, And we... We during the deal, we increase the assets value, increase the assets cash flow, we refinance that deal. And from the refinancing of the deal, we try to give all the money back so we can all get the risk, capital risk out of it. But then our investors are staying in it with us. It's still a 70-30. So um So they've gotten <clears throat> they've gotten all their money back and they're still some. getting that return. Yes. Plus perpetually. Some. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. That, you know, in that because generally we refinance in a three to five year time frame, yes. essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it's pretty amazing that an investor could bring, come in, bring their money, put in X amount, get that amount back, and also a preferred return perpetually. Yeah. Is, is for the life of the deal. Um, it's pretty pretty sweet deal, man. Well, I love and, that. and this is, I think, you know, you you mentioned it's important to know what you're going after and your style. So like we know who we are and what we do. I find underperforming facilities and I turn them around. So I know that I'm shooting for a refinance without doing an overload or increase in debt, right? Um, so I'm keeping my debt the exact same. I'm not, I'm not overloading it, but I'm getting a payout and then I'm using that capital to go back to work. And this is how we've operated always before. It's just only been our money. And then we started taking on investors. And so for us, understanding our way that we invest creates our ability to structure the deal. Mm -hmm. Because I know what I'm going after. I know what I'm doing and I know what to expect. And people know what to expect from us. So lots of times they're saying, well, I'm not sure how I would construct the deal. And I say, well, show me your deal. Or what are you going to do with the deal? And they say, well, I don't know yet. Well, then how do you know how to construct the deal? Yeah, you, you're, you're trying to get somewhere with not, yes. not knowing where you're going. Exactly, like, <laughs> exactly. So you got to have that end goal. So the first thing you need, and two, you need to know, is there is the juice worth the squeeze, right? If, you're, if you want to give an 8% preferred and do a whole bunch of other stuff or have a waterfall, is there going to be that much cash flow? Can you actually achieve those numbers? You got to underwrite that to see what can be taken out of the asset, what kind of returns are going to be given from that asset based upon your strategy. So perfect example is a different mode of operation we're going on. So we do conversions and new builds. These deals are not like the ones I just mentioned. Um, well, they are, like as far as structure and stuff goes, but we're, they're not getting cash flow up front. Right. Because we're building it and we're developing it. So there's a fill-up time. So like, like listen, for the first three years, um, you, we don't expect a lot of cash flow, but we expect that it'll fill up and be cash flowing after, you know, whatever, year two. And then from there, we're refinancing, we're getting all our money back, and then we have cash flow from there on out. Um, still 70-30 
um, how we break it down. Uh, so those, though, have different expectations, right? We may go, we're not doing a preferred return or we're not – because it, it's different. It, those assets don't work the same way. And I, you got to be very clear up front with your investors and have expectations be completely – clear. Because, <laughs> those good old operating agreements. Yes, yeah. exactly. And those need to be understood who has control, who has say, who has risk, and what that risk means. Um, and deals change. They do. I mean, we did our uh, deal in Kansas City, which is just a crazy awesome deal. Um, but we get down there, and out of the however many units, what, 700 plus units, it's 100,000 square feet. They only had five contracts. And it's we're insane. going, we can't, we can't increase rates. We have to wait now because we have to get all the new contracts done. Um, and we're going, oh, man, now we have to move a fence, right? So there's just things that you find. And not that it's even a bad thing. In fact, we look at that those things as good things because the worse it's run, the better it is for us, the more money we make for because sure. we turn these assets around. Uh, but at the same time, we didn't expect that much. We expected that day one, we were raising rates only to find out we didn't have contracts to raise rates on. Um, so we have to go through and say, what contracts are in place? What did you sign? Where it was? They weren't keeping record. It, it was you know kind of a mess that way, which it's fine. So what we do, we clean it up. Uh, but you need to be ready for those things to happen and you need to be transparent with your investors and your partners all along the way, right? Something changed. You guys need to know about it. Uh, and that's a really, really important piece. Uh, but the clearer you are up front and the clearer you are through the deal and the more transparent you are the deal, the better everyone is, right? We just all want to know the rules. And as long as you can do that, then people know what they're investing in and you can structure the deal appropriately. Some people want to do deals with lots of limited partners. So for us, we don't, you, we don't have a single source of capital, right? So because we take on the debt, they can't hold over 20% of the loan. Most loans are structured. Listen, if you have over 20% of equity, you have to sign on the loan. So for us, we have multiple investors. They don't own over 20% because they're not signing on the debt. We are. We take that risk. Um, and we know the assets that we're looking at. So we're looking in second tier markets um, with good turnaround facilities. And it's also kind of expected that, listen, the first years, you know, it's cleanup time and, and some of those can be bumpy. But um, we get our biggest boost also, though, within those three years because we're cleaning it up, we're improving operations, um, and we're maximizing uh, the revenues. And we're adding in things, we're training, we're doing all these things. So you see those first few years, the highest probably year-over-year year return that you get because then you stabilize that asset. After you refi, get your money back, it's stabilized cash-flowing asset forever. And um, we hold forever. Other people structure deals very differently. They don't want to hold forever. They want one single po uh, point of capital because they're going to go in and they're going to flip it or they're going to uh, develop it up and sell it, right? It's more of a fast transaction. Um, and those deals have to be structured differently if you're doing that. Also, too, if you have a smaller deal, maybe larger investors don't want to be involved in that. So you also need to know who you're targeting. What do they want? So what are your limited partners or your partners, if you don't do it a limited partner, what do they want? And what are you offering to them? And what is that worth? This is probably the biggest question um, because I've had people that have uh, offered us deals 
which I don't know how to politely say. I'm like, you're not worth that much. And it's an awkward situation when they're not being, when they're not self-aware enough to know that you're asking too much, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't, what you're putting into this deal, that doesn't, that's not worth that. Um, And so people just don't invest and they don't want to talk about that because they don't want to say that to you. Um, So they're just like, oh, this isn't for us. And then they start making up reasons for why they're not investing, which aren't the real reasons. And when you get those no's and when you hear people say, this isn't a deal I look for, you need to understand, is this, is the deal the problem? Is it me that's the problem or is the deal structure the problem? You need to identify one of those three things and you need to understand where that problem lies because you may be off. When we started um, out and we were looking at deals, it was like the deal structure was the problem. Right. And then I had some investors that the deal is the problem. And I'm like, scratching my head. I'm like, okay. And you find out that there are certain investors are for certain people and others aren't. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Right. So you just need to make sure your story matches what you want and your buying and your strategy matches the investors that are coming to you. That's right. super important. Okay. And the clearer you can be about what you're doing and what you're trying to do, the better investors you're going to have. Oh, for sure. And kind of, I mean, how we target customers, you know, we have certain customers that we want to target and bring in to these facilities. Same goes for investors. Just like you're saying, you want to align with those people that that are on the same path, that get it, that you click with, that it makes sense. You know, yes. you shouldn't have to force any of it. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No, the last thing you want is an investor to ask you in year two, when are you selling? Right. And you're like, we're never selling. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, wait, but hold on, what? What, what are you talking uh, about? Exactly. Or you're selling and they're like, why are you selling? Um, so it's because investors, they have financial plans, they have taxes they got to pay, they got things. So generally speaking, um, you don't want them to be surprised. No kidding. That's the other thing is, I mean, you're planning out these portfolios for 10, 20, 30, you know, 50 years, whatever it is in the future. That's going to make a huge difference if somebody's assets end up getting sold. <laughs> yes. Invested a lot with you or something, you know? Exactly. That changes the game a lot for sure. Well, and that's the next side of this. So, you know, we're talking about investors, but also if you're setting up the deal, you need to protect yourself. And that was one of the things that was very important to us. Um, we needed to protect other partners and we needed to protect ourselves. And this is done through the contract documents and who has the rights and who can say what. We never wanted ever an investor, a limited partner, to be able to take control over the asset. Um, Obviously, that's, you know, they're investing with us, not the other way around. And that's particularly scary for the other investors. So having that clear cut, um, this is who has say, and this who doesn't have say, and here's the roles and responsibilities, those all need to be built out in the documents. And I don't like complicated documents. Um, with our structures, we did kind of uh, uh, A-B share, right? A voting and a non-voting share. And we're just keeping this simple. You, you're not a voting share, so you don't get – you can't decide what management's doing. Um, and that – then the investors that are going along, they understand that. They say, great. I don't have to worry about having board meetings and what if some of these people do something that I don't want to be done and now I'm stuck with a group that I don't agree with their philosophy and I was getting in under your philosophy and now you're being overthrown – you know, those things can get really messy really fast. Definitely. So you're saying the LPs are getting those non-voting shares. Yes, yep. exactly. Um, so 
we've tried really hard to be, say, we're focusing on our strategy. We want people to know what it is, right? And this is where partners come in. So we're talking about investors, uh, limited partner and general partner relationships. Um, uh, the other side though is partners. Uh, so people that we partner with, and generally we partner with people that bring us deals. So somebody says, Hey, AJ, I know you love, uh, 80,000 square foot facilities, second tier markets that are mom and pop run. I've got a deal. Let's do a deal together. I say, great. We'll give you a portion of the general partnership. And you also can invest money alongside just like we do as limited partners. And then we clearly define what the roles and expectations. Are you going to be ongoing in the project? Are you going to be helping out the project in some way and manage it? Like, how's that work? And and for us, we want people that are bringing us deals, but they don't, they're not managing. We want to run the deals because there are investors. We're bringing the money, everything to the table. So we want to run the deals. They're bringing us the deal. They get to participate in the deal because of it. And lots of times they get to participate the deal when they would have normally never been able to participate in a deal like this because of how the SEC runs rules, right? We take on accredited investors. And this is an important piece to understand because accredited investor is someone that has an investable net worth of over a million dollars, not your house, an investable net worth. Um, or an income greater than 250000 as an individual, and I think it's 350000 Not exactly sure on those up to date. I think it's two fifty as an individual, three fifty as a as a couple, spouse. Um, and those are the classifications for who is a credit investor. And a credit investor basically means the government doesn't care if you lose your money. Um, so the government determines that these people can invest with you because we're okay if they lose their money. Um, these rules are not to be played with. These are extraordinarily serious rules that have implications of jail time that have, you know, these are just really, this is really important stuff. And you need to make sure you have attorneys that are reviewing these docs, know everything about this and can protect you and your investors. Um, we, they have to sign waivers, disclosures that they're accredited investors. They have to, there's a lot of things that we make them do, um, because you don't want to put yourself at risk. Right. Right. Well, there's these different structures that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that, but have just been developed recently with more of this push towards crowdfunding and and being able to do this. And so there's these new structures coming out to be able to crowdfund with people who aren't you know, the quote-unquote accredited investors. Um, but again, you have to follow those guidelines yeah. to the T with a fine-tooth comb. And those are else, much more complicated oh and they're much more regulated. Yeah. Well, and then two, I guess we could kind of touch on this a little bit, the the administrative side of managing hundreds of investors versus managing just a handful Yes. That you normally go to, you know, so there's, there's the administrative side that also needs to be taken into account when you're deciding how you're going to structure your deal, if you're going to crowdfund, if you're going to um, just, you know, use uh, private equity companies, whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, definitely something to think about because you're not only just raising the money, you're managing those individuals that you're raising the money from after yeah. the fact. So yeah, we, we hired people to help us do this. It's uh, not a small task. And, 
you're right. They expect service. They expect um, clarity. You need to understand how the communication is going. And this also comes down to what you mentioned is how many investors you want to say. This comes down to minimums. So the investors that you're going to allow to you, how much are you going to allow them to invest? Like, are you going to allow people to invest $10,000 and you need to raise $2 million? You know, that's a lot of investors. Are yeah, you ready to deal with that? <laughs> um, or are you going to say, listen, we have a 100000 or a $250,000 minimum. Mm-hmm. And so we concentrate the amount of investors that we have. Um, that's uh, an important question to understand and decide. Um, and are you going to be operating the asset or others? And what are the fees associated with that? And so let's talk about those fees. Um, fees are standard in this because like we talked about just now, placing capital, dealing with investors, that costs money. I actually have staff and people we have to pay to execute and do these things. So generally speaking, we have a, uh, 2% fee, which is, you know, an acquisition fee. This is us getting the capital. This is us paying the money, the docs. I mean, we, um, well, look, one of our, we have a 4% and excuse me, we have a 2% acquisition fee, which covers all the things we have to do to get the deal going. Right. Um, and set up banks on and on and on legal paperwork, but we, and then we have a 4% development fee. Um, and to give you any idea, we spend a lot of money on development projects that we don't even know if they're going to pay out. Um, I mean, no we, we have 150,000 into one that we don't even know that we're doing yet. Yeah. It's not cheap. Um, So those fees go to cover for us to develop those opportunities. Um, And so those are why those fees are there. Now, generally speaking, I found that if you're very good at what you do, um, you can generally charge fees and be paid for what you do. If you're a beginner, though, they classify things as what we call sweat equity. And it's like if you don't have a really good resume – Right. And if we don't, we're taking on more risk investing with you. We're just going to chalk all your work up to equity in the deal. So, and normally it's not as much. So, instead which is of still a, an amazing deal, though. which is still an amazing <laughs> deal. Exactly. If you're getting it done. So, yeah. instead of maybe 70 30, you're getting 70 or you're getting, you know, 20% of the deal or 10% of the deal. Right. And usually when you're doing that, you can't be just a general partner. Um, I know that we've had deals that approach and it was like, listen, if I do this deal with you, I'm having all control because my money's on the line and you don't have a record to back it up. And if I need to come in and basically overthrow you, I have to have the rights to do that because it's risky. And so you also have to be self-aware of what you're worth, what your value is and what investors are going to come and ask. If this is your first deal and you're asking somebody to give you $2 million dollars, you better be prepared for them to say, I have all rights, right? This isn't, I'm not an LP. That's not how this is going to work. Um, Because they have way more to risk than you do. Where for us and our investors coming in, right? I have way more on the line than our investors do. Way more. I'm the largest investor. I'm on the bank note. We have our entire companies, our reputations, and we're putting all of it on that deal. So we can't let anybody touch all those assets and everything um, to go. So this is where understanding your situation and where you're coming from will depend on your deal structure. So that's why I said at the first is like, you can't just say, oh, AJ said I can get 70-30. I've never invested in my life. I found a storage facility. 
I'm going to go tell people to give me two million bucks. I want 70-30. <laughs> you have no say whatsoever. Um, yep. That's just not going to fly. Uh, so you need to you need to get ready. And you have to remember that that's not how it was for us, right? I spent a, 15 years using our own money, risking all of it before we ever took on anybody's money. So we got to a point where we were authorities and we, you know, we could say that. And still, we're not even close to charging the highest. We don't charge high at all. We're, we're pretty standard. But if you're starting out, you need to make it incentive. You, you need to have an incentive for those investors to come with you, to take a risk on you. And you should be not only okay with that, you should encourage it and you should let them know, right? I know you're taking a risk on me. I get that. And because of that, I'm going to make sure that you're whole. I'm going to make sure that um, I'm taking care of you. And I'm going to make sure that you have all the ability in the world to be recovered. And that if I screw something up, right? So when when investors see people that have that kind of self-awareness, um, it's comforting. Definitely. It's, no. They say, okay, thank you, right? And you're looking for a good partnership. And you don't want the person that overestimates their ability and then falls short on the execution. And then the, the investors are stuck with the bag because you're ruining your career. It's right. just not worth right. it. Well, and there's a lot of that stuff out there. And investors have seen it and heard from it about you know from their friends and everybody else. There's a lot of that stuff out there where people just go in and they, they have <clears> – <throat> and I don't know if it's just – they don't understand or they never, again, like had this peek behind the veil to see, you know, what a deal is actually structured like and in the expectations that are realistic and aligned with reality, you know, with experience or the yes. lack of or whatever it is. And uh, there's a lot of that out there. I mean, you've had, I mean, how many people have contacted you, AJ, and been like, hey, I've got a deal for you, dude. Like you come and do all the work and then just give me a bunch of stuff. Oh, crazy amount. Yeah. Crazy yeah. amount. It's um, so you take all the risk. You do yeah, everything. You take like, all the risk. You do all the work. <laughs> and and I we'll get a split piece of it 50-50. <laughs> it's like, like I'm what sorry, you, what? What are you talking about? And it's it, it, you it's need you, when you're looking at your partners, you got to understand who needs who more. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. Don't get in over your head and think that they need you in some way because a lot of times, and most if if not all the time, they don't. There's they don't. So much opportunity. So out much there, opportunity. So much money to be placed. Yes. In anything and everything else. Like, and education too. Yeah. That's expensive. Like oh, for sure. There's such a huge value on experience and education because you don't even know, you may be getting a bad deal and you don't even know it. Right. And so you got to understand that the equity of knowledge is one of the most important because that's the biggest way to reduce risk. It's through that. And that's why large fund managers and people that have been in the industry, a lot like people really want to do deals with them because they go, I have way more or less risk with you because of the knowledge that you have and um, the transparency because of deals past and things like that. So uh, that's when you're constructing a deal, you got to take all these things into consideration. You really got to look at everything that you're bringing to the table, what that means, what you're asking of people to do, um, and don't be greedy. Don't be greedy. Uh, it, this isn't short-term stuff you're talking about, right? You're looking long-term. You need to be fair, good with your partners. Um, you want to make these relationships last forever and you want to keep doing deals because it's not one deal that makes the difference. It's 10. And if you're greedy, you never get there. 
And two, greed is just such an easy thing that sticks out with people. Oh, definitely. It's like I can usually tell in the first literally minutes of a call. I'm like, okay, I'm not doing a deal with this person. It's it's not a conversation. It's, you know, and there's just – that is an investor's worst nightmare is dealing with a prideful, greedy person. So walk in with your head on your shoulders, right? Be confident in what you're asking, but be realistic and be fair to those investors, um, be fair to those people that you're talking about and have a discussion on how the deal is going to be struck for these people, for people starting out. And I think that's the best way to handle it. And you could even ask them. Ask, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. Ask what do you Pick think brains, is fair? Yeah. And two, ask a bunch of people, see the different answers you get. For sure. That's going to help you understand who you should be investing with and doing deals. 100%. Well, I mean, honestly, kind of going back full circle here. I mean, that's essentially when we started Cedar Creek Wealth. That's what we did. Just like you said, we went to these capital aggregators and we're Absolutely. like, hey, so uh, how the heck are you guys doing this? <laughs> and what do you uh, expect out of us? Yeah. And what does that mean? And uh, how do we do this? And it, there was lots and lots of questions and lots of interviews. And sure. it was like, okay, well, we got to fill and we got to fill for the right way for us to go. And then for us, it became a, I, it became the question of, we just couldn't understand why we needed them. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it just wasn't a good fit because it was like, we don't need you. Right. Um, we have more assets than you even do. Yeah. So, it, you know, that was, I think, a tipping point for us where we go, not only do we not need you, we have to pay you for it. You control a lot of this aspect, mm-hmm. which we felt was risky. Um, and two, it didn't align with our future and what we wanted. And so you need to be thinking about that a lot. Right. And I think that's a good point too, is, is figuring out not only educating yourself and how you're going to structure that, but then also molding that to, to your plan, what you actually want, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. Like, don't just sit there and just think, oh, well, this is the way it's going to have to be. I just have to, I have to have this many investors or I have to have this, or I have to have that. Or like, I think that's a really important thing too, to, to mention that you need to mold that with what you actually want and what your future plans are. And who you want to work with. Yeah. I don't let people invest that I don't want to invest with. I, I just don't get life is too short. Like invest with good people. Mm-hmm. Remember your partners represent you and be very careful on who you let in. My, you know, my name is worth everything to me and I don't want people to trample on it. Right. And so I am very, very concerned about my future and about my reputation. And I'm very concerned with the people that I spend time with because my time is very valuable to me because I know it's so limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, after everything that happened, obviously with me being in the hospital and um, getting a second chance, that was one thing that I came out with. And I'm like, I just, I'm going to deal with people that I want to deal with and people I don't, I'm not going to deal with at all. Yeah, I'm, And that's kind of a perfect example. I was sitting here thinking about I mean, life and business and everything else, deals, all this stuff, it's it's chaotic and, and crazy enough as it is, let alone having relationships with people and investors and these other things that, that you really truly don't want. Yeah. It, it just makes it that much worse and you don't need that. Exactly. Don't need it. Align with people that want to align with you. And that when that align, when you align with investors, operators, Everything on a plan, that's when the magic happens. It's when minds come together. For right? sure. And you'll be more fulfilled. It'll propel you into the future. So I hope that was helpful, everybody. I do want to mention also, um, we talk about aligning, doing deals and everything, you know, store local. 
um, and Tenet Inc. These, the, what we're discussing was an alignment when we started working with Store Local and understanding who they were. And when we became, were like, we want to be founding members of this because it was an alignment of we're trying to protect single operators, right? Individual operators that are looking at getting deals done, that are trying to break into the industry, that are trying to build portfolios and be protected from the REITs. And and it, there were so many people in the industry that had similar mind that, you know, we all got together and Store Local became this amazing thing. And that alignment really makes or breaks your company. You need resources, you need people. Um, so I, I look at examples like that, where there's places in the industry, like Store Local, that you can go and you can get this knowledge. You can get people that understand these things. You can, they will help you. Don't feel that you're alone, right? Don't, don't think it doesn't happen on an island. You don't know how to structure a deal. Call people that do and ask around. They'll point you in the right direction. They'll help you. They may tell you where you're out of line. They should tell you where, where, when you're out of line. So um, uh, don't feel like you're alone. But other than that, everybody, I hope uh, I hope this was helpful. If it was, leave us a great review on the podcast. When you guys do that, the five star, it helps us with the algorithm. It gets our, gets our message out and what we're doing. Um, and it makes a huge difference to us. So thanks, everybody. And hope that works. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>